0: Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? This is a question that I think a lot of people maybe had to face a bit more than they had in the past during the lockdown. And in general, the trend is that millennials have rejected religion but remain spiritual. There's some older Pew studies, uh, they classify millennials as nuns, which means when someone asks them what religion they have, they say none. So at the, a 2012 Pew Research Center report said that one in three in America, this is in the US, uh, do not belong to a faith community. And uh, only 10% of those are looking for one. So that's sort of the stat that I'm underpinning this conversation on and my own personal experience. So framing it as millennials. Just for example, I think for many millennials this past year was the first time that they'd been taken off a treadmill that they'd been on since school. And so I I started asking, how do we find our spiritual life? Those of us who, who maybe left the traditional older religions of our childhoods, the more formal ones, where do we find meaning in life? I know that's a huge question for a podcast, but... As I pondered these questions, I had read the book, you've heard me mention this before, Wintering by Catherine May, which I loved, which really guided me through the winter months of lockdown. And in it, she spoke about speaking to my guest today, who's Philip Gom. So Philip Cargum is the former chief of the Order of the Bards, Ovid's and Druid's. Um he recently recently stepped down. He's also an author and a psychologist, and just a genuinely fascinating human being to speak to. So we had an amazing conversation about what it means to be a 21st century druid, how we can connect with the natural world around us, and why we can sometimes get a bit squeamish when it comes to spirituality. Welcome to Storyteller a podcast about how and why we tell stories. I'm your host, Lisa Golden. Uh, If any of you are new here, this podcast is a chance to hear from people from all fields and all over the world. I've had poets and journalists and performers and academics and scientists and Buddhists, all sorts on, because at my heart, I believe that we're all storytellers. And this podcast is here to feed your curiosity to spark ideas in your brain and get you thinking about the stories that are being told around you, and maybe even some of the stories you want to tell yourself. So I have a confession to make about this episode. It was recorded in January this year, almost five months ago. And as you may have noticed, I took a break from the podcast while I moved and got back into the normal swing of things. I addressed it a little bit in the burnout episode. Um, And at the time of this interview i was burning out and i'm afraid you can hear it um you know burning out is maybe even a bit if you listen to the burnout episode we have a very long discussion on what it means what we what we're trying to say when we say that we're burnt out out. but let me just use burnout as an overarching phrase and let's just add sort of a maybe a, a teens of of the depression on the side um and you know what you can i think i feel you can hear it in this interview But I think this is a really powerful interview because what I was speaking to, it was and is incredibly close to my heart. It's the question of how do we move through this world? How do we remain hopeful in the face of so many challenges that we're facing today? And how do we find spiritual life and spiritual meaning if we're allergic to formal religion? And very lucky for me, Philip masterfully and elegantly took my long confused questions which I've edited mostly down to what I basically was trying to say but believe you me for every answer he gives I was sort of rambled for about five minutes before we got to it and he just threaded our conversation into a beautiful meditation on community, spirituality and finding hope and near to the end of the podcast you can hear and I, and I say um, I get a bit out of my depth in that I was uh, struggling to, to wrap my head around, uh, what Philip was telling me. And, you know, I made a decision. It, it made editing this episode really awkward for me and probably also why it took me so long to get to it. But I decided to actually leave that awkwardness in because Philip was digging into some really powerful, important topics. And I think issues that were really close to him and that he was exploring, and I didn't want to slice it up. I could slice it up. I could use my, you know, the editing and and clean it up and, you know, make something that was 15 minutes, five minutes and do the work for you. That, that's what I've been trained to do. That's what most media types would tell you to do. Um, but I haven't. Because you can hear that I'm struggling with the concepts and I'm being honest about what I don't understand. And I actually think that is more true to what this podcast is about, which is curiosity and learning. And sometimes that curiosity and their learning isn't so pretty. And sometimes it can make you feel quite vulnerable and quite embarrassed, which is how I felt listening back to it. But I hope that by hearing me struggle, but taking the time and and taking a deep breath and just asking to go deeper, asking Philip to help me out so that I could stay with the ideas that he was putting forth is an exercise in honesty and vulnerability for me. And I just thought, you know what? I and no one... <laughs> Um, have all the answers so it's okay to say that you don't understand take a deep breath and try again so with that massive caveat um onto my conversation with philip cargom we start with a beginner's guide to druidry, and with my favorite question Thank you so much for joining me on Storyteller today. I start the podcast by asking all of my guests if they consider themselves storytellers.
1: Aha! Hello. Well, thank you for inviting me. I, I, I suppose I do, actually. Um, nobody's ever asked me that question before. But, um, but, oh, really? Yeah, uh, but I think I think I I do really because you, you know because well for two reasons really. Two, you, you know, I work as a psychotherapist. And also, I've been involved in the Druid uh, tradition, Druid spirituality for the last 50 years. And so, and that um, is very much based around stories and storytelling. Uh, So in both those senses, I guess, yeah, I see that.
0: Great. And a bit later, I would love to ask you, I was reading up about... um the The training for Bard storytelling, which I just thought was was so fascinating, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, um I think maybe just to start off, could you just give us a bit of a lay of the land of the world of 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 Druidry and I, I know it's so hard to you know summarize a whole history and a whole movement or you know whatever you want to call it, but yeah. for someone who maybe hasn't heard much about it before.
1: Okay. Okay, and and maybe I'll try and sort of th- think in in terms of story as well. Um, I mean, basically, the druid the druid tradition druidry is the uh, originated uh, as the kind of early indigenous spirituality of people in uh you know western europe and we get to know about it through the classical authors like you know julius caesar and so on and uh that would have been as it were at the height of it where sort of various tribal spiritualities and approaches were being kind of formalized in in specific ways and and then we see christianity coming in around the sixth century and christianity had a kind of monopolist agenda so they weren't They were interested in incorporating previous traditions but but in order to take them over really and and interestingly enough it was storytellers who saved the druid tradition in a way uh for preservation or many of the ideas in druidry because although they were christian scribes and clerics they were interested in in stories and so they wrote the old stories down so that's how we get that transition from an oral culture into a written culture And then you had a period of about a thousand years where Druidry effectively uh, was suppressed or didn't exist. And then you had a revival in the 17th and 18th centuries, which continues to this day, where people started to look back and uh, say, hey, that was interesting, what happened in the past, and attempted to uh, work with the inspiration of the past. So that now Druidry is a very kind of modern and contemporary spirituality, because although it draws its inspiration from the past, it's not trying to recreate something uh, out of the mists of time that we don't know too much about. Instead, it's trying to be inspired by it, but to be very contemporary and to work with um, ways in which we can uh, be integrated with the natural world and so on. It's gone beyond its place of origin of Europe to spread all over the world now. So you have people following Druidry, you know, all over the world. So it's no longer determined by geographical location.
0: And, I mean, so would it be fair to sort of call it the, like, the indigenous spirituality of Western Europe? Is that a fair? Um,
1: you, you could. It's probably stretching it a bit, and it depends how you define Druidry. And, and um, some people will say it's... Um, the spirituality of the ancient Celts, but Celtic—the term Celtic—is incredibly problematic. There are seven ways in which you can understand the term, and and you know many of them are disputed and so on. And what Celtic isn't is an ethnic definition; it's a cultural definition, and so on. So the 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 best way, really, and the most honest way, I think, to talk about druidry is actually as a contemporary spirituality that is uh inspired by the indigenous spiritualities of 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 the past in western europe the main strand of which was what we might call the classical druids that we hear about in the classical authors
0: okay got you got you um and could you tell us a little bit about your own journey to how you found out about this world and and a bit of yeah a bit of your path through it. I know you said it's 50 years, but um, yeah, it'd yeah. be great to hear how you came to it.
1: Yeah, um, and it's actually a bit longer than that, really. I'm I'm uh, <laughs> uh, being <laughs> reluctant to say how long it really is, uh, but no. But I started when it was it started when I was a kid, when I was 11 years old, um, and uh, when uh, i my dad knew the old chief druid in London, and I met him and uh and then so and he was like a family friend so he was around and then when i was 16 i became fascinated by this idea of druids and the fact that there were these sort of magicians and wizards and uh you know the whole mythology around them and um i started to study with him and then i was initiated on glastonbury tour when i was 18 and um and uh, and and that that's how it started.
0: And, that, and that's how it all started yeah um, so I mean could you ta- could, just out of interest um what can you tell me a bit about that initiation ceremony? what did that look like?
1: It, well, if you can imagine a group of people wearing robes, blue robes, green robes and white robes going up the, the spine of Glastonbury tour I think Glastonbury tour looks like a kind of crouching lion or something and you walk up the back of it up towards the head you know and up at the head there's that little ruined tower and that ruined tower is the result of an earthquake there was an earth there was a church at the top there and an earthquake knocked most of the church down and we're just left with the tower and we got up to the base of the tower there and there was a band playing because although my druid teacher the old chief druid was in his 60s then he was very much in tune with this kind of zeitgeist and what was happening. And, of course, it was the time of flower power. It was the 1960s, so it was sort of flower power. And uh, and um, it was 1970, to be exact. And there was a band called the Third Ear Band, which was very avant-garde. And they made a number of albums. And uh, And he had the he got the Third Ear Band to play so and then we did a ceremony and that was you know and that was how I was initiated and that at some point a, a sword is unsheathed and they and was held up high and and the words of the ritual: went behold this sword Excalibur that was raised out of the lake of still meditation and his return to it again if our lake be stilled and, and then I had to swear on the sword that I would be you know true to the ideals of Druidry and so on you know
0: Next up i wanted to ask philip if there has been new interest in Druidry. what was really curious to me is that i'm i'm 30 and i think a lot of people my age when they had dropped a formal religion when they were younger it didn't make sense to them it didn't sort of match up with their new ideals the people who have drifted back to it have drifted much more towards a sort of Eastern philosophy, more yeah. sort of maybe Buddhist or kind of a sort of secular mindfulness. Yeah. And I'm just curious as as to why, do you think, um, these are such big questions, you know what I mean? It's like religion and economy I, and where we're all going in the world. Yeah, sorry.
1: Should... Let, let, let me. Let me. I, I think I, I get get what you're going towards, and and <laughs> and and. In, in funnily enough, it's very much the situation that was occurring in the 1960s, where people were getting turned on to They were getting turned off conventional religion. They were getting turned on to Eastern religion, you know, Buddhism and meditation and so on. Mm-hmm. And um. And and I became really interested in Buddhism too. And uh, but at the same time, I was lucky enough to meet the old chief druid. So those two interests ran in parallels. And I still have that interest in what I call the Dharmic traditions of Buddhism and Hinduism and Jainism, which is a wonderful old religion as well, um, and in druidism. And in fact, they're not that distant at all. They're in fact really interwoven because they, they both exist at the two ends of what's called the indo-european arc and they have they're all mm. sort of similarities so we have a project uh, called the one tree gathering uh, which which we in which we have meetings and conferences and so on with members of the dharmic traditions jains buddhists and hindus and druids and we share ideas and all the rest of it because we're all drawing from the same inspiration really um, but one of the Different One of the differences or nuances in, in Western religions, what, what happened was around those time in the 60s, a guy called John Michel came along and he wrote a book called The View Over Atlantis, which, is, hmm. which became a kind of cult classic at the time. And it switched a lot of people on to the fact that there isn't only magic coming from the East, there's also magic in the West. There are all these stone circles and ley lines and druids and all this stuff in the West as well. And the, the difference, I think, is that with, with Druidry is it's very nature-based. And the problem with following a Dharmic tradition and Buddhism or this kind of secular mindfulness is it can lead to a kind of detachment that because the focus is so much on achieving equanimity and stillness and... Seeing the passing of events and outer the and the outer world as kind of shifting clouds of Maya, if you like, and of illusion, that you can, one of the downsides of it is that you can develop a kind of detachment from life, which can have a negative effect in terms of a sense of alienation. Mm. So that, you know, and and this is so understandable. I mean the world is such a tricky place. I mean, with stuff like the pandemic and all the rest of it, I mean who wouldn't want to be detached from all of that? Mm. You know. But the trouble is, if you do that, you're not engaging with life. And I my at the heart of spirituality, I think the most important kind of thing to get right is the question of like, how can I be fully engaged with life? Really believe that I'm here for a reason and I'm supposed to be alive and it's a good thing to be alive and yet at the same time not get caught up in all the negative events and the drama and not to get caught in despair over what's happening to the environment and the the stupidity of the political and economic injustices and so on. Uh, And that's a really hard balancing act but it can be done. And what Druidry does is it kind of roots us in the natural world and uses things like trees and animals and plants and the cycle of the seasons to help us feel totally sort of part of the family of life. And at the same time to practice meditation and to be able to detach as well.
0: Mm. so I mean picking picking up on on that like I think the pandemic has been really educational for a lot of people who had lost that connection because I mean you every we, I, we heard so many stories of people walking you know when we're all so desperate for our one hour of exercise people sort mm. of started really re-engaging with nature around them. And I know the huge joke was people in London were saying that they could hear the birds. And I don't know if that, they were saying, we don't know if that's because there was less traffic or people were literally just paying attention, which they hadn't done for so long. Sure. Um, so, I mean, do you see a, a new interest in... George? I mean, because obviously it also so aligns with the environmental movement. So is are there like a new generation of people? Have you seen an uptick of interest since the pandemic?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's been a huge there's been a huge interest i mean it started a few years back and uh you know a number of writers young women writers came to me and uh and we talked about druidry and they became very interesting and um have written articles and books where they include ideas from druidry and so on and um and and then the pandemic has just kind of intensified this as you say people are getting out into nature more and um And appreciating it more and noticing its effects on their mental health and then it's it's just one step to go from that to recognizing its effect on your spiritual life if you like you know you open to how soothing and inspiring nature is and that kind of connects you to uh, you know the spiritual dimension as well.
0: As I've mentioned, Wintering by Catherine May uh, had a big impact on me, and I learned a lot in that book about reconnecting with the idea of ritual. Which, again, I told you I had to cut a few rambling uh, pre questions, so I've taken my long ramble about it out before I spoke to Philip. But just to say that wintering had a huge impact on me. I've spoken about it on the podcast before, and it really encouraged me to reintroduce ritual into my life that's linked to the seasons and a part of that was celebrating the winter solstice which I did and as you may know the summer solstice just passed so that is where we enter this part of the conversation. wintering had a big impact on me because i i just thought of course we need this pacing to get us through because otherwise we're basically i sort of feel sometimes like the last maybe eight years of my life has just been like the heat of summer but for eight years you know like full full throttle no break you know that kind of thing um and yeah if you could tell us a bit more about the idea of the the 12 the 12 week you know uh break of of ritual i'd love to
1: hear a bit more about that yes i think you're probably thinking about the eight the eightfold cycle of the year over the 12 months yeah that's it yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. well if you think you know you were talking about how it's felt like you've been in the sort of summer full-on full-throttle period for years like that if you think about kind of secular life there's basically two big markers there's you know if you're not religious in any way there's there's christmas the whole christmas new year thing that happens and then once you've got through that uh the next big mark is like the summer holidays yeah i mean Mm. easter may be a break if you've got kids you know you've got sort of kind of easter holidays with the kids and so on but basically you then find yourself looking forward to your summer break you know especially if you're trapped in a in a full-on job all the way through and then you go away for two weeks in the summer or whatever it is and then, when you come back from that, it's oh, the weather's starting to turn again. it's getting cold, that's a drag. And what have I got to look forward to? Well, there's Christmas, okay, and you look so just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty yeah. uh it's 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 not very helpful in traditional you know times in old times, there were these regular festivals, and people who you know Christians who are sort of committed christians have have to some extent this because they have all their festivals of, you know, where Easter really is meaningful and Advent and, um, you know, Lent and, and all those different festivals through the year. In fact, every culture does, every religion does, Hinduism has it and so on. Um, it, so in Druidry, what it is, if you can imagine you've got the, the, the two solstices, the winter solstice, summer solstice, spring equinox, autumn equinox, and then imagine points in between those, midway between those. So that makes eight points so it means about every six weeks you've got something to look forward to and you've got a kind of marker so i see them you know there's um what's that place lindisfarne out on an island off the northumbrian coast i think it is where which um on low tide you can walk to it and then high tide the water comes up and you can't walk and they have these kind of sticks in the Mm -hmm. sand in the mud so that you can f- work your way, you know, so you don't sink into the mud, you know, so you can work your way across. And I see these markers like that, particularly in the pandemic, actually. It's like six weeks is is mm-hmm. just long enough to seem like a long time, but it's short enough to give you something to look forward to. So if you take now, it's the 4th of March. We've Imolk, the Spring Festival of Imolk on the, on the 1st of February was, was a month away four weeks away. And now this, uh, the spring equinox is is coming up in uh, a couple of weeks time. So it's something that we can look forward to the spring. And then mm. as Druids, we do a little ceremony, um, but it doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be something very simple, like a, a special meal or just even a moment's meditation or pausing in your headlong rush into the future you just pause and say oh today's the spring Mm. and kind of pause and soak that in and and then when that's over you just in another six weeks it's going to be what's called Beltane which is the first of May which is you know another spring celebration. so that for for people's mental health it's uh really helpful to have that to have these handholds every six weeks around Mm. the year um and then each season has yeah. s- has three of these. You see, so so spring has three. You know, you start off in February, f- February the first, and you think, well, that that's not a spring ceremony or time. Well, it is actually the beginning of February. Just the snowdrops start to come out, and and you get the occasional day of sunshine, and where you think, oh my god, yes, spring is actually on its way. And then, but you know, it's pretty wintry mm-hmm. still. But then you get the next festival, May. 1st of May and it, and it's really then you can feel the spring coming and uh, and sorry and then in between that you get the spring equinox in March so you get this gradual, you get three celebrations of spring you know and then three of summer and three of autumn and so on.
0: What fascinates me sometimes about, about everything that's happening now is I sort of put it to Philip that you know people moving away from organized religion and there's been a re-emergence of psychedelics and and i and i thought well i'm sort of describing the 70s aren't i um so i put it to him whether or not these things happen in waves or if it's just been one long wave so i mean is is this is it basically this change just one long extension from that point it wasn't sort of it didn't rise and everyone got interested in buddhism and then it all went underground and has popped up again or do you think it's just one much longer wave
1: i think it's probably a longer wave i mean there are there are kind of cycles and everything aren't there and um Mm. I, i i think it's i think it's the same wave continuing you know um I think in a way, these waves, there was a sort of increase of waves. After the Second World, you had this huge turmoil of the First World War. And then we know how the First World War broke up so many uh, kind of crystallized, rigid sort of social hierarchies and systems and ideologies and all the rest of it, you know, through the 20s and the 30s. Then you had another sort of whack with the Second World War, which broke up more and all the rest of it. And you had... A sort of pure decade in the fifties of recovery from all that sort of economic and sort of you know post-traumatic sort of recovery, but there was the Beat Generation that were just sort of starting then, Um, people like Jack Kerouac who wrote Dharma Bums and so on, you know, and 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 that and then that changed into the sixties, and you got the whole Flower Power movement and all the rest of it, and then and then with each wave you got an undertow. So the undertow of the sixties was the abuse of drugs, uh, you know, where initial kind of openings from the psychedelic sort of uh, movement, uh, those kind of initiations, people who got caught up in the negative stuff around that got sucked in and, you know, there were problems of addiction and so on. Mm. Um, But the wave carried on, and in the 70s, you had, it was really a time of the gurus. Loads of gurus arrived and all the rest of it, and that opened up a whole load more uh, awareness of spirituality and so on, particularly amongst the young. Uh, there was an undertow of that, where all the, lots of gurus started getting busted for tax fraud and um you know abuse and all the rest Mm. of it but if you kind of surfed that you kept going and you didn't get hung up on the guru you didn't get hung up on the drugs didn't get hung up on the gurus you know you got into the 80s and 90s and then there was the sort of environmental revolution where suddenly people said oh my god what are we doing and they turned to indigenous spirituality so people started getting really into you know native american traditions and shamanism and you know aboriginal tradition and so on and um you know, if there is an undertow to that, the undertow was the sort of the wannabe uh, Native Americans or, you know, where, you know, people are saying, look, you're not a Siberian shaman. You know, you're from Enfield. Come on. You know, yeah. uh, um, <laughs> and, uh, all the issues of cultural appropriation and, you know, problems around that. Um, mm. um, but the, the wave carries on and, and we've got to this interesting stage now in the in the uh, 21st century where, you know, more and more our kind of reliance on technology, I mean, you know, this sort of double-edged sword on, 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 on technological solutions to the world's problems are, are, you know, it's obviously not the only answer. We need, we need not only material solutions, but also spiritual solutions. So I think when a really interesting, quite fluid period now in the, in the sort of 2020s, where where we can draw on indigenous spirituality, we can draw on sort of n- all the discoveries of neuroscience, uh, you know, on religious studies and all the rest of it, uh, and aware of the sensitivities and not getting caught up in the the problems around our, uh, around each one of them. Actually, you know. If you fixate mm, too much on mm. neuroscience and, and the sort of hard psychology, you get caught up in materialism and it, it narrows. If you get caught up on gurus, you get hung up on people and then they let you down. If you get hung up on psychedelics, then they let you down, you know, and so on. So, so, so it's an interesting. Fact. There's tremendous potential, I think, for young people at this stage because there's so much to draw on.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it
1: must be puzzling <laughs> um, to you. Oh,
0: right. So I think.
1: Sorry, up to you. So, sorry, it must be. There's a little delay, isn't there, on this thing? Uh, there must be. It must be puzzling, in a way, because you're, on the one hand, as a young person, you you've got so many riches to draw on. There's so much stuff out there, you know, in terms of, ideas you can imbibe and systems you can follow, that you know that that then raises the question: Well, which 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 one of these things do I follow, and how do I? You know, how do I work with this?
0: And finally, this is the question that I mentioned at the top of the podcast where I sort of got a bit out of my depth. So I have just decided to let it play out. It's largely unedited. I've taken out a few um, ohs and um's and uh, we were speaking over each other a lot because there was a bad delay on the line. But outside of that, I've left it unedited, so while it is not the smoothest of listening from my side, but I've, I've handled it very well, but just take it from my side that um, I apologise, that I sort of wasn't, I was struggling to keep up and, and and trying to just be honest about the fact that I, I couldn't really follow up with a strong question because I hadn't quite understood, and yeah, I hope you can take it in the spirit that it's meant, um you know what if it's awful and you like your job is to edit things and make things simple for us fine drop me an email let me know (laughs) um but i just wanted to leave it in here um as a little moment of vulnerability for myself and also just to give this really interesting idea that philip was putting out there a chance i wouldn't want to butcher it by by editing it out so enjoy have a final have a final question for you um, I was listening to one of your speeches and I heard you call yourself an incurable optimist. So I wanted to ask you, for people who are looking around now, we're potentially moving, we are moving into whatever our new normal will be, but, you know, there's, there's climate change, the economy is 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 what it is. There's a huge amount of mistrust, um, you know, in the UK housing crisis, stuff like that. I want to know why you're optimist and why why you would... Encourage people to sort of start cultivating a spiritual life if they don't have one. I mean, everyone has a spiritual life, but cultivate a spiritual life if it's something that they've neglected maybe over the last couple of years.
1: Okay, that's a fantastic question. That's great. Uh, I want to give a talk. There's a great project called Philosophers in Pubs. Um, which hopefully will start up again once pubs are open, um, <clears throat> and and I gave a talk there about um, how spir- a spiritual approach uh, was the only pragmatic approach to uh, world our world problems, and um, by that I mean if you if you look at the Royal College of Psychiatrists, for instance, you go on their website. And I've forgotten where you find it now, but somewhere you'll find a report on the effect of spiritual belief on people's mental health. And it's clear that people who have spiritual beliefs are—it's uh, uh, a tremendous positive to have that. It, it's good for your mental health. So, so my argument was, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's true with the capital T or not. Um, the fact is. Uh, you're gonna feel better. It's a bit like say in a relationship, if you if you if you treat your partner as if they really are your loving friend, even if you might every so often think that may not be true, you know from experience that by doing that, if you treat them as your loving friend, you're more likely to actually find they are your loving friend than if you're not. Do you see what I mean? It's the power of belief. At a very kind of basic level, we know it makes sense to be optimistic and there are all sorts of interesting studies in psychology about uh, uh, how an optimistic mindset affects you physically and psychologically. So, Purely from that point of view, that's, that's a reason for, for being an optimist. Um, mm. You might then say, well, yes, but how can you be optimistic in the face of uh, the facts that you observe around you and what's happening to the environment? And that's um, where I move to the fundamental, I would say, posture Position of spirituality, which is that matter is a um, a result of of mind or consciousness and not the reverse. This is really worth understanding correctly because if you misunderstand, you know, or if someone misunderstands what I'm saying, they they you know uh, it can sound really silly or or not sensible. But there are basically three ways of looking at the world. You can either say the primal reality is matter. That's the only thing that's real is matter. And then consciousness is a byproduct of the interaction of neurons in the brain. These little electrical signals going on in the brain, and you get this thing that we call consciousness. And that's all it is. Hmm. So that's the materialist point of view. The in philosophy, the idealist point of view is the opposite, which says, no, 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 it's the other way around. Every, mind is everything. Consciousness is this vast field. And then within consciousness is this stuff called matter. It's just one part of the field of matter. Okay. So so the, the the created universe exists in the mind of God or goddess, if you like and then there are people who try to unite the two there's think there's a, an approach called panpsychism which tries to sort of reconcile these two points of view but essentially it's really that th- you know you choose one or tother um, and and there's a fantastic book that i'm just reading actually by professor of psychology steve taylor spiritual science why why science needs spirituality to make sense of the world and it's a great read and he puts it very very clearly mm. um, if you if you follow that idea and you you you, you develop a, a spiritual worldview, then whatever happens whatever is happening in the material world is constantly changing and whatever happens to the earth, whatever happens to my body, Whatever happened, uh, there is another level of reality that transcends that, and that's where we get into the area that some people can uh, feel is escapism, if you like, and and uh, because you're saying it's Maya in the end, you're saying well, there's this constant changing physical reality, um, and I think that my sense is there's a, there's a real truth in that when you have spiritual experiences when you have transcendent experiences or peak experiences, you experience a level of reality that's beyond the physical. Um, Now, I think the mistake happens when you say, in that case, it doesn't matter what happens to the earth, doesn't matter what happens. So an extreme kind of adoption of this idea means you don't attend to the physical world. Somehow you have to perform this kind of balancing act of being totally committed to life on Earth and what's happening to the Earth and and attempting to preserve it and protect it and all that, but at the same time knowing that there's a deeper reality. Does that does that make sense?
0: It does. It does. I think and I think that's an interesting point for for people to enter in because I think that's where structures have left people behind, and people are maybe finding new structures and and even just being that that level of awareness or realizing maybe this world is not more than just a collection of atoms or you know is i think that can be a really grounding place for you know people wanting to, to not you know obviously i think people growing up inside of the climate crisis it can it can be a quite despairing thing it can mm. be hard Hopefully. for people that people are incredibly you know more frequently getting overwhelmed by um living with that reality so yeah i think that is a powerful tool for people to
1: exactly and you can ima- i can imagine if somebody was listening to this who's really committed to uh, cli- uh you know fighting climate change somebody who's involved in extinction rebellion and all the rest of it they could they could turn around and say that's such an irresponsible idea you know i hate that because you're saying you know at one level uh, there's a reality that's beyond the physical world and so you know that means you know, it doesn't matter what happens. And it's, that's not what I'm saying. You know, it, it matters deeply. Yeah. Um, but you can also connect to something at another level. It's like in a relationship, you can be really committed to your partner and love them and want to be with them. But there's a way in which you can close, you know, that for your own psychological health, and at, at some level of reality, too, you exist independently of your partner and independently of the relationship and that if they did fall under a bus it would be tragic and awful but you would carry on and that sounds kind of brutal doesn't it but it's but i think it's true you know mm. that that does that make sense
0: um i think maybe maybe help me understand a bit more because is in in that analogy is the planet your partner who falls under the bus or where do, where do you find Um, Sorry, maybe I'm not understanding. Okay, you're not
1: understanding. Okay, so I'm saying um, I I have, as a a piece of consciousness, I have a relationship with the planet, and Mm -hmm. and I love the planet dearly, and uh, I want it to flourish and thrive and be protected and so on. But... There is, a the, 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 but it, it, it's. Uh, I, I'm hesitating to say this because this is such a radical <laughs> and even to me shocking idea, that if the planet disappeared overnight, I believe that consciousness would remain. If, if. You know, there's this idea in uh, Hinduism about the in breath and the out breath of Brahm, the creator. the The creator breathes out, and the whole cosmos exists, and is is put in comes into being. And then, when he or she breathes in, millions of years later, he they take an in breath, and the entire cosmos is destroyed, is disappeared, goes back inside the creator. And then another million years passes, you know, and then the breath goes out again. There's a, the, you know, um, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to reach that level of saying that there's, there's time and there's no time. There's there's space and there's, there's something beyond space. So there's matter and there's, there's a, there's a level of being beyond matter. And the, the, the exhausting, thing about, you know, if you're totally identified with saving the physical world, which is a very, you know, we should all be identified with that. But if you're totally 100% identified with that, then if the physical world is destroyed, you know, you're you're totally invested uh, in that physical reality. And what I'm saying is there's more than physical reality
0: i think you know what i'm i'm probably a bit out of my depth here Mm. but but if people were if i wanted to start learning more about this Mm. um are there some resources or topics or books that that we i could look into or themes like where if someone is at the beginning of of this journey of of learning about these concepts where what's a good starting point
1: okay well so let me say just uh, as regards what we've just been talking about, I've never said that before on air because I'm aware <laughs> I'm aware that, that that you know it could seem you know I, c- I can imagine it's kind of volatile what I've said, uh, but I do believe it, but it's just just my belief, and it's not necessary to believe that in order to follow Druidry or whatever. Um, so having said yeah. that, if you're interested in in the kind of a Druid perspective, I mean we have a website which is dub 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 Druidry dot org d-r-u-i-d-r-y dot o-r-g and uh, there's loads of material there and then uh you know as you know i do a thing called tea with a druid which is every uh monday evening at 8 p.m you know british time uh where we just you know just chat for 10 minutes and then we have a meditation together and so on um uh you know maybe those are two good places to start you know um, but otherwise you can just type, yeah, drew it so into Google, you know, yeah,
0: drew it into Google. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then anything, I mean, I think cause also just what, what, what you were speaking to were such, were, were our, our very large, um, Almost philosophical concepts. Mm. I mean, for I'm saying just for people who are completely newbies, because there'll be a lot of people listening to this who a lot of even just the terminology of what you were using will be quite foreign to them. Mm. Um, and I'm I'm saying this at me also just being a bit out of my depth, like. Mm. Are there any particular philosophical traditions people could look into to um, try understand those concepts a bit better? Because the thing is, um, with the sh- the show is completely about like following your curiosity and learning, l- hearing new ideas and learning new yeah, ideas and yeah. trying to so, wrap your head around new ideas. So, like for me, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I, I, I. think I got that, but I also relatively not probably only got about 33% of that, but I want to make sure I can go and follow it through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, any advice in that realm would be good. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm really taken by this book at the moment, um, spiritual science by Steve Taylor. Uh, and the first, Mm. uh, you know, the first 20 pages, uh, a new earth by Eckhart Tolle as well has a similar sort of feel. You just, you know, you read 30 pages into that, or you read 30 pages into Steve Taylor's book. And that gives you a really clear sense of this, this, this idea of the spiritual material issue that I was talking about just then. I would say those are good places to start actually. I mean, there's a great scientist Rupert Sheldrake who's again, if you go on their sort of YouTube films of Rupert Sheldrake uh, talking about around this kind of these issues
0: Okay, great. Yeah, good
1: places to
0: Well, I'll put I'll make a little reading list for my for myself and for the listeners so we can yeah. we can start our journey and start getting wrapping our heads around these these bigger topics. Yeah. Um Philip, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your thoughts. It was so um it was just so interesting and so educational and I'm really excited to learn to learn more about Druidry as well, because I I I just think um it's really interesting how we've always re- i I think maybe in my own way, I've always been taught to reach Away from my own culture to learn more about spirituality, so it's been really great to, I to say, like realize, but at least be able to explore um, a spiritual culture that I'm not it isn't sort of tinged with the, as you said, like the cultural appropriation sort of feeling of when when people are sort of wandering off um, to do silent you know, retreats, and those all wonderful. I would love to do one of them myself, but it's just nice to be able to see something a bit closer to home.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, I could get There's another, there's another um, Emergence magazine did a great article. There's another book I can give you for your list. Lucy Jones, um, Losing Eden, Why Our Minds Need the While. And it's like wintering. It's really Mm -hmm. beautifully written. And she talks to a number of people and she talks to me in the book, uh, like, like Catherine May, you know, And, um, yeah, it's just really well written.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much.
1: Okay, pleasure.
0: Thanks again to Philip for being such an excellent and gracious uh, interviewee. (laughs) Um, Sure, guys, if you had to listen to that unedited, uh, I've just been cringing. I've been sitting on this edit for ages just cringing because I was struggling a bit. But you know what? Um, Again, beautiful to mark the passing of time and to realize that you go through hard times and then they end and you go through good times and they end and on and on it goes so as usual please email me any thoughts or questions you have um i've got the wonderful new website which is welcome to storyteller.uk and on social media i'm kind of leaving social media for the moment because i've noticed i get the same amount of listens uh whether or not i promote it on social media or not Um, but i'll get back to it soon i promise but i think a lot of you are here quite loyally and if you've made it this far um i'm sending you a lot of love thank you for always supporting me and supporting storyteller and we will be and we will be back next week with the storyteller basics so we'll have kathy back on the airwaves so until next time